you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Could win Dancing with the Stars. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you uh, from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, now. Christmas. It's over. <laughs> the week's healthy. The week 16 flagship show, uh, but the real headline, Christmas, it's over. <laughs> well, we were just talking. We all had our nice Christmases. Um, you know, the pandemic can't take away, as you said, Dan, uh, the joy uh, of a child on Christmas morning. So it was nice to, to have that moment this year, Absolutely. at least. And a year that has been trying for the whole world and this country and this podcast with what uh, Wes has been going through. Uh, it's good to appreciate the good things and the fact that we all have healthy children and we get to celebrate the most special of all days, Christmas, with them. So that was great. But, you know, then it was time to get back to ball, Sessler. And uh, <laughs> that was that was today, Sunday, and it, there was a Jets-Browns game that I don't think really somehow ended up making either of us happy. Uh, but I'm sure you much more unhappy than I. There were also uh, some clinch games uh, divisions were decided and other other divisions and other playoff spots are wide open and up for grabs as a result of the action today so what we're going to do is spin through 15 games and we Woo. you know boys sometimes we we, we we can be a little bit you know elaborate in our uh, descriptions of things and games and intros and to getting into games intros at, at the beginning of a show even uh, we're going to have to really be economical mm. uh, can we do it mark yeah, I mean, I could also just, I could sit here and say nothing the entire show, which would remove probably 40 minutes of content. So, you know, that's a team effort, but it's going to take all three of us and more potentially to uh, As long as you could just tell it. me why Nick Chubb didn't run the ball 30 times today. That's all I want to know. But we'll get into all that. That's a very that. popular narrative popping up. I'm, I'm sure everyone has more of a clue than the Browns coaching staff at this point. All right, let's get into it. It's that type of day. Uh, let's start, though. Uh, with a big game uh, between the Colts and Steelers. Uh, really, a tale of two games. Let's get to it. The 39 of the Colts. He wants to throw it deep, and he throws it down the right sideline. Deontay Johnson diving for the end zone, and he caught it for the touchdown. A 39-yard strike on first and 10. Ben to Deontay Johnson. Deontay's seventh touchdown reception of the year. He had a step on Rock Yassine and then dove and caught the ball. That right there was the turning point. Bill Hillgrove nails it. WDVE. Ben Roethlisberger threw a, per- threw a perfect dart to Deontay Johnson. A touchdown pass that seemed to rouse the Steelers from a weeks-long slumber. Roethlisberger threw three second-half touchdowns as the Steelers rallied past a stunned Colts team, 28-24. With the win, Pittsburgh claims their first AFC North title since 2017. Greg, mm. I mean, that was a turnaround that was hard to see coming. 
I was stunned. I'm sure the Colts were too, and they are entering week 17 now on the outside looking in of the playoff race, which is wild at, at 10 and 5 and considering how well they've played. I wrote down on my, you know, my little notebook at one point, Steelers so lucky to be down 24-7. Because at that point in the game, when it was 24-7, before the comeback started, it felt like it could have been 40 to nothing. At that point, there had been uh, a 65-yard play by the Colts, you know, called back by a, a penalty that they didn't need to do on the uh, a block in the back. I thought that really changed the game. Uh, the Steelers had fallen on a couple fumbles, including one uh, forced by T.J. Watt that got them their only early touchdown. And the Colts had quadrupled them in total yardage to that point and they were dominating I felt like up front on both sides and that was a perfect play uh, to highlight because when Ben hit that Deontay Johnson pass it got them rolling the defense had just stopped the Colts three and out to set it up so the defense which did not play well for the first quarter and a half of the or two and a half quarters of the game suddenly did their thing and the Steelers started going deep and a lot of credit goes to Roethlisberger who made throws that he hasn't made all season and we've been making fun of them. And a lot of credit goes to their line, uh, who I really thought uh, pass protected terrifically well. And I thought that was a big difference in a day where the Colts were missing their top three tackles and they couldn't protect Rivers well at all. I thought the like it, you're right that it was a tale of two halves, one of those types of games. The Colts offense just seemed very resilient to me early on with long drives uh, and answering, um, you know, tougher moments with long drives. And then they closed the game with a punt, a field goal, three straight punts, an interception, and a turnover on downs. They, they are a team that strikes you as they can play a really great half of football, and then they can give you something way off the mark. And I, for Pittsburgh, I just feel like, weren't they at some point, whether they're a great team or not, that's a different conversation. Weren't they going to break out of this slump at some stage? I mean, Maybe. possibly like they wouldn't, but that's just not the Steelers team I know. I also know a Steelers team that can go into January and offer up another stinker. They've done that multiple times under, under Tomlin. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh has shown now uh, all sides of them, and I don't think anything would surprise you. They're kind of, to me, the AFC version of Tampa Bay, where they have this high ceiling and very low floor uh, once you get to January. So it'll be interesting to see what version of them shows up. I, You know, and I was all set to come on the show and take a big L for being completely wrong about Phillip Rivers, which I still am. Phil Rivers has been really good this season. Uh, but, I mean... I was all in on Ben Roethlisberger this year and all out on Phil Rivers. And at halftime of this game, it was like, oh, geez, it couldn't be more clear which, uh, which AFC contender had the right old guy quarterback. And maybe the, maybe the Colts still do. Uh, but they, Indianapolis just looks so weak in the second half, every bit as um, dominant as the Steelers looked. And, you know, Roethlisberger is hard to figure out because it just seemed like they were – completely broken in this game like we saw it coming for weeks and then when they failed at the goal line on that they won they lost the ball on downs where again they tried to run the ball and they're like oh we're not even gonna bother and then they were unable you had the drop uh by chase claypool and then the throw to the pylon they get knocked away in a nice play by the indie defender and it just felt like it was not gonna happen so yeah that deontay johnson touchdown I can't think of too many moments in this NFL season where things change as quickly as they did mm -hmm. with that play.
I know at that at that point Romo was talking about you know how high a seed that the Colts could get to that they could get to like a two seed and in a quarter later we're talking about them maybe not making the playoffs the Steelers meanwhile what a huge win not just to get a nice taste in your mouth and some confidence uh, that they could beat a good team and that they're not the most broken offense in the league because yeah through seven or eight drives they had about 50 yards in this game. Uh, but they can also rest their starters next week, which for this team, which was rolling out the old excuses to Nance and Romo about how tired they were and that they haven't gotten their bye week, that they got you know kind of jobbed out of that, which is true, but a lot of teams have dealt with a lot. But you've just been hearing that more out of the Steelers. Now they, they have the division. I think it's debatable whether they should care about their seed at all. I don't personally think it's that big of a deal. And I think they're going to get some, some good players, some rest, and they did it on the backs of teams. DJ Watt, by the way, Wes isn't here, but I'm sure he would be mentioning how Watt in a big spot uh, got a huge force fumble, two sacks, Stefan two at another one. And if you wanted to vote for Watt defensive player of the year, he gave you some some nice little moments. I kind of feel like he's locked it up depending on how you how you vote for these guys. I know Aaron I think Donald's always... got a, I think Donald's got a pretty decent chance. He would have my vote. But my, but my one thing, though, is that I mean, they're both so equally important to their teams, but. TJ Watt, I to me just what he's done game after game, like in what the, the skid that they've been on, like he he's my vote um, this year. Uh, Stephen Holder, one little note for the Colts. I know it was a bad second half for the Colts, but Jonathan Taylor, Stephen Holder, their longtime beat writer, said he's never in his time covering that team seen a rookie develop as quickly. Um, you know, after a rough start, that that's like midway through the season that he really, really has come on. So that gives me a little bit of hope that you get a different version of the Colts a couple weeks from now if they get in Well, they've got to get healthy, too. They're, they're yeah. playing without both their tackles. Anthony Costanzo with an ankle, uh, right tackle Braden Smith. He was on the COVID-19 list. So and they lost another one during the game, and that was a right. huge factor on the final fourth down play, which Rivers gave pretty good ball, um, you know, the third tackle. They were down basically to their fourth and their fifth tackles, actually, right. and That's he gave up a quick pressure, and, yeah, they need they need them back. Uh, season high five sacks allowed against the Steelers. All right, so there you go. The Colts blow it. They had it all set up, and now they are they will be fighting for their lives in Week 17. The Steelers, they are the division champions. Now let's check in with another division race that was decided out west. Russ with the shotgun snap looks out, lays it up over the top. Hollister, he's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. I think everybody on the Rams was looking for a short run, and here comes Russ going for the throat, and he finds Hollister in the back corner of the end zone for six. The Seahawks stretch their lead, and they are two minutes and 51 seconds away from being NFC West champs. (laughs) Good call by Steve Rabel, K-I-R-O. Yes, Russell Wilson threw just one touchdown pass on Sunday, R.I.P., let Russ cook. What a fun time that was. But he made it count, connecting with Jacob Hollister on that 13-yard score that salted away a 20-9 win over the Rams. The win clinches an NFC West title for the Seahawks, their first since 2016, which surprised me a little bit, while the Rams slipped deeper into their offensive funk. Greg, Seattle won this division because their defense figured it out in the second half of the season. True or false? Uh, I'm going to say false. Okay. Because <laughs> I I would still give it to their offense and Russell Wilson over the course of the season, and they've played a bunch of garbage uh, quarterbacks and offenses in a row. But it's crazy that I have to throw Jared Goff into the mix with Colt McCoy and Sam Darnold 
and Dwayne Haskins and and the other quarterbacks that Seattle's stopped. They deserve a ton of credit. It's a massive win for Seattle. Yeah, I was there, I remember, when the Rams scored 42 points on Seattle in 2017 to win the division. Seattle hasn't won the division since. This is their first in four years. It's the first you know, convincing win McVay has ever lost to, to Pete Carroll. And so their defense was huge, and Adams makes a monster play, uh, Jamal Adams, uh, to stop a potential rushing touchdown at the goal line. Um, and, and that sequence, to me, was maybe kind of kind of told you everything. The, the Rams had you know, five plays there. Adams gets him down at the one. Then they have four plays right at the goal line. They don't trust Jared Goff to throw it once. The Rams are down to their third running back after uh, Henderson got hurt in the game. Can't can't get one yard. And part of it, I really think, is that Sean McVay wasn't trusting Jared Goff. No, no one was trusting Jared Goff. Troy Aikman's teeing off on Jared Goff. Everyone is. Mark Sessler's been doing it all season. You have the floor to dance on his grave, Mark Sessler. <laughs> I, I, I don't wish to do that. I mean, I think if anything that we, you know, even on our Thursday preview show, when Goff's name came up, it's like, well, we've already talked about that. He's a problem. Yeah. We get it. Um, except it's a lingering and current problem when his, you know, terrible interception puts the team back, when he's when he's fumbling. And for me, I... I this game, when it was 13-6 to after Russell Wilson waltzed into the end zone, I just thought to myself, this is Pete Carroll's um, type of game. And it's not Sean McVay's. This is not the way the overall yes. Rams experience um, is wanting to be going there. And they have like an elite pass defense, and they have a Super Bowl-level defense, and you're not really asking that much of this offense um, compared to what some teams have to go through. Think about Deshaun Watson on a weekly uh, level And so for me, it's just disappointing because you are looking at a team that I think could be very dangerous, but you simply can't trust one half of the ball. It, hurt, it hurts that Cam Akers wasn't out there. I think he's been a big part for them. But the passing game either goes um, hot or cold, and you know pretty quick into a contest what it's going to be. I mean, it seems like to me that he's going from meh, meh to an actual liability on yes. this team now. And I, I thought that the – the first half interception he threw was just like a head scratcher. And it was exactly the type of play that led uh, Sean McVay to publicly admonish his quarterback a couple weeks back. That was, you know, that public move by McVay was meant to clean up his quarterback's head a little bit to, to sharpen up because this is now the end of the season and it's time to, to win divisions and, and make playoff runs. But now the Rams go from entering last week against the Jets. They were in the driver's seat to win the NFC West and, win 11 or 12 games, and now it's all up in the air. I mean, the Rams can still get to the playoffs if they beat the Cardinals in Week 17, but they can now miss the playoffs entirely if they lose to Arizona and then Chicago beats Green Bay next Sunday. That I mean, that is quite a turnaround uh, for a Rams team that just seemed to be in such a good place. And I'll push back on that, Greg. I, uh, I absolutely think the Seattle Seahawks were going nowhere fast with this defense. And you can, say, you can look at... Uh, their opponents, which is fair also, but also, you you know, you play who you play. And they have held, I believe, five straight opponents now under 20 points. Uh, this was something that we you could not have, just like you couldn't have pictured the Steelers going to the tank the way they did and then coming out of it. I would have never thought there would have been a five-game stretch this year where this Seattle defense against anybody could have pulled off uh, five straight 20 points or less games. So uh, you got to hand it to Ken Norton and, and Pete Carroll for getting that figured out. Yeah, I, I'm 
I'm wary just because, you know, I still have it in my head. Like sometimes people say like your defensive ranking is more about your strength of schedule than anything else. And so I want to see them ag- against a good offense. But you're right. They, they couldn't stop anyone early in the season. Adams is the biggest difference. I do worry that they're that, that Carroll thinks being conservative on offense is why they're winning. <laughs> And I and I know they're not turning it over, so maybe that is part of it. But they're they're de- they're often struggled today, um, and the the Rams uh, you know the Rams defense played more than well enough to win for most of it. It's thirteen nine midway through the third quarter, and and the reason why it was even that close. I mean, Goff was lucky he didn't turn it over three or four times. That's why we're ripping him. If you if I mean even though the stats are bad, it could have been worse. He threw one just as grisly as that interception that the Seahawks dropped. He also fumbled it as you mentioned. Uh, also and they looked hurt. Like he yeah, hurt he, his well, he hurt too. his thumb. That was pretty deep into the game. He actually made a couple nice throws after that. Was, he, he looked like he totally um, dislocated his thumb, and the camera caught him putting it back into place. It was it was fairly gruesome. Uh, but by then, the game was was over. And uh, in Seattle, yeah, you're right. The, 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 the D deserves it. This is a dangerous team. I don't think anyone is a huge favorite in the NFC. And when you have Russell Wilson... Uh, you have a chance because he had a third and nine, a third and eight, a third and seven, like late in this game where he just sort of made the Russell Wilson type of play. And that's that's the advantage I have. It's almost like the, what, what we could say about Seattle in early September can be said about them to some degree Every still <laughs> as they enter into the NFC playoff race. Anything could happen with this team. All right. Let's spin through the games that were played before Sunday uh, and start with the finale to Saturday. And it was a memorable one. All this down kick is up. And it's good! Got it's it. good! The it's Dolphins good. are going to win this game with one second left. It's oh. Miami 26, the Raiders 25. I hope you did not go to bed tonight until this was over. <laughs> Jimmy Cephalo and, well, not that was not Jason Taylor, was it? I don't think so. WQAM with the call. Yes, Jason Sanders made the kick, but this was this was a case of peak Fitz magic. Ryan Fitzpatrick relieved an ineffective Tua Tungavailoa and led the Dolphins to one of the most improbable wins in franchise history, 26-25 over the LOL Raiders. Uh, you know, that 34-yard miracle completion to Mac Hollins, a pass by Fitzpatrick that was made while the quarterback's head was being damn near torn off by the face mask, Mark, that that was magic. That was Fitz magic. It was, you know, and it just made me, um, it made me happy for Dolphins fans who, you know, I think people think oh, Dolphins fans had all this fun in the '70s and '80s. Those people are 70 years old right now. Younger Dolphins fans have been through so much, and so I know that the conversation coming out of this is, how do you handle Fitz magic and Tua, and who should start? Uh, but I think for if you're if you're a Dolphins fan that's waited so long. For this moment, that is something you will never forget. Imagine a paw the size of Arden Keys grabbing your nose and eyes as you attempt to do anything in life and to do it well <laughs> still. I think that Fitzmagic, um, he is this sort of devil-may-care figure who keeps popping up. He's unkillable, and I don't think it's the last time we'll see him if they need him again in the playoffs, no matter who mm. starts next week. I think they are right now. Um, I don't know if it's a Chan Gailey thing and some of the plays that they decide to call and expand the offense when he's in there. They just look, the the flow is better. There's more comfort. I think Tua still does some really good things. But you're here now to get into a playoff race and do whatever it takes. So mm. I don't mind the way that some people do, and you guys might disagree, with sort of flip-flopping between quarterbacks as needed. 
No, I, I like it. We we talked about it when they did this before that it's okay to treat. I think it's okay to treat quarterbacks like adults. And Flores said it well after the game. You know, I'm I'm concerned about everyone in this locker room, and we're out here. You're trying to win, and if I need to call on the relief pitcher, that's how he used the words. Um, in a certain situation, I'm gonna do it. I I just how can you be mad that he's having his cake and eating it too? You know, they're six and two, and two of starts. And they're going; they're probably going to the playoffs. And these snaps for Tua are so valuable. Now, is Ryan Fitzpatrick a better quarterback right now than Tua Tagovailoa? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't well, think that's Greg. I, that's I, the I end of the conversation. Then let's be honest here: this thing where we want to protect Tua, but also make our points that it's a big boy. It's sport. not protecting him. There, it's like his Fitzpatrick should be starting. So, and I know it, it, Flores already announced it that it's it's Tua it's starting Tua. week seventeen. I, I, I can't believe that. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick at this point has earned starting with this team and getting a full game. And let's also remember that they don't win that game without a miracle and the Raiders becoming a total joke on defense these last few weeks. Uh, that's the only reason they ended up winning the game. They waited too long to go to Fitzpatrick, if you ask me. Uh, I, I don't get the loyalty to start a rookie when it's clear the veteran is coming in every week and showing you he should be the guy. Yeah, I mean, there might, there might be some thought that it's like Fitzpatrick over the course of a game is going to turn it over. And, and they had had a good formula with Tua. Now, this, I think, was his worst start along with the Denver start. I mean, I, he, he was holding the ball way too long, uh, and you had to take him out of there. But you're, you're right about the Raiders' defense. Um, like, people got on John Gruden a little bit for not – taking the touchdown when the Dolphins were giving it to him. They were trying to let the Raiders score late. And if you had wanted to do it on third down after you took the clock down as much as you could, you know, there was about a minute left and you would have just had to stop them from giving a touchdown. I, you know, I, the more I thought about it, I don't blame him because ultimately how can you say to trust your defense when what you just yeah. saw happen? Fitz, right. The only reason Fitzpatrick didn't go – uh, touchdown, touchdown field goal is because Mac Hollins dropped a potential touchdown on Fitzpatrick's first drive. So, like, the second Fitzpatrick came in the game, they totally collapsed. They gave up a touchdown in, like, 20 seconds the drive before that. So it's like, it, no matter how you want to, you can't really, I don't, I can't, I can't blame Gruden for that. Well, no, but I would say for what Pittsburgh's gone through up until today and, you know, turning that city almost evil against the team with what, what the Raiders swoon. And it was a couple weeks ago. There's, we, they couldn't possibly duplicate what happened a year ago. They just couldn't. It's, it's a different team. We trust them. And they did duplicate it. And their defense fell off a cliff to such a degree. And I know that there's some injuries and stuff there, but they go into the offseason with all the same questions they had last offseason, I think. Gruden is, just quickly, I I went and looked from week 13 onward. This is a weird stat, but from week 13 onward, in Gruden's last six seasons, his teams are 8 and 24. Because I remember his Bucks teams always collapsed at the end, too. That's how he got fired. Three, two of the, his last three years, they collapsed at the end, and now he's doing it in Vegas, too. I don't know. There's something about John Gruden. He just collapses at the end. I mean, he's going he's, he's gonna to pay for that in the sense that that's going to be the narrative around him and the Raiders in this offseason. Uh, but when you sign a 10-year contract, that's as far as it goes. You just have to deal with headlines that are annoying. And maybe what a Dolphins team. Answer. I love this team. This is my favorite they're team fun. this year. This is just I mean, that was, they're, they're that was overachieving. Nice. It was I, was, awesome. I was happy for Henry Hodgson. And that those type of wins, I don't care who you root for. They don't come around very often. Um, so I hope Dolphins fans enjoyed it, and I think they did. And, and if you're... If you've been following this podcast, one of our favorite 
uh, things on Sunday was to listen to Brent Musburger make uh, uh, his play-by-play calls for the Raiders. And we haven't heard much of Brent, obviously, as uh, Vegas has gone into a total swoon. But I did ask Ricky to, to pull up a sound of Brent calling the Ryan Fitzpatrick face mask completion, and uh, it did not disappoint. Here we go. A win is a win is a win. We'll take it. That's right. You never give one back. (laughs) In the bag. Uh, Those penalty flags come flying. That was completed across midfield to the 41-yard line. This is going to tack one extra 15 yards. And he got a face mask. mask. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. How did someone get behind? I don't believe this. They got a hold of the face mask, and Fitzpatrick somehow got the ball off. He somehow launched the ball. And Hollis was wide open. Wide open at the 41 yard line of the Raiders. Personal foul. Rubbing the pass. Are you kidding me? Face mask defense. This 15-yard penalty will be added to the end of the play. Uh, First down. I've never seen anything like this in my life, Lincoln. It sounds like it. He's been doing this 60 years. He's never seen anything like it in his life. Welcome to Raiders football, Brent Musburger. All right, let's uh, move on to more wild uh, events unfolding on Christmas uh, in a game between the Vikings and Saints. Handoff goes to Kamara, looking for space on the right side towards the goal line. Touchdown, Alvin Kamara! Mama, there go that man again. And you see the snow, snow angels, everybody. So Alvin Kamara, with his sixth rushing touchdown of the game, ties the most ever in an NFL football game, Ernie Nevers, back in 1929. Oh, boy, Zach Streep and Deuce McAllister with the call WWL. Did you start Alvin Kamara in your fantasy championship? I did. (laughs) Alvin Kamara tied a 91-year-old NFL record with six rushing touchdowns. A 52-33 Saints win over the Vikings that clinches New Orleans' fourth consecutive NFC South title. Kamara also set a career high with 155 rushing yards. Scoring on runs of 41, 5, 6, 7, and 3 yards. Greg, that's quite a performance by your boy. Oh, man. It, it, it was awesome to watch because I think it showed off what I what doesn't get enough attention from Kamara is that he is so strong. Like, his, it, mm. it, it's one of this low-to-the-ground things, but his core and whatever it is, like his le- when he gets it in his mind that he's not going to be tackled – he his balance and his strength is just incredible and you just saw Vikings defensive players get some good players like Harrison Smith sometimes just like bouncing off of him and it's that strength along with everything else uh that he does that makes you know for me he's the one he if you need one running back that's the guy for me I mean from a fantasy angle you have right. made your point um <laughs> I am one of the ultra losers that in one of these stupid consolation games that couldn't be more meaningless in fantasy, went against Henry Hodgson, who you mentioned, who had Alvin Kamara, and I just said, I'm not, I'm not checking the score again, again, because there's no reason to. This thing is a wash, and it's over. I mean, you knew right away that he was lightning strong and ready to go when he had that 40-yard touchdown blast, and it's, 
kind of cool to watch a game like that that's super historical. How many young people would have maybe watched one of their first football games on Christmas night and say, this is what a star player does? I mean, you'll mm. wait another 70 years for that to happen. But and, um, Saints had almost 600 yards of offense. It kind of makes you think, I'm not sure there's a dominant team here, but if every team is on and they're at their best, the Saints are pretty spicy. Yeah, and I think it, it showed you that the Saints don't need vintage Drew Brees to operate with great efficiency on offense because Kamara is the engine of that offense. And you just need Brees to be, you know, a decent facsimile of himself. Now that's up to debate if he can even be that at this point. Uh, but when you have Kamara, who, by the way, has 21 touchdowns this season, I think he has what? around 1,700 total yards uh, through this same. And this tells you this is why fantasy football is maddening, why you can never predict anything in sports. Uh, Alvin Kamara had two touchdowns through the same uh, stretch of games, 15 games last season. He had two all of last season. Uh, entering week 16 uh, this year, he has 21. Uh, but I, I just thought, you know, on a day where Drew Brees uh, threw two interceptions, didn't have a touchdown, that they score, still put up a 50-burger. That would have been unfathomable uh, five years ago because Drew Brees was the offense back then. And then on the other side of the ball, like, uh, you know, not much needs to be said about the Vikings other than uh, the 52 points were the most allowed by the team since 1963, and the wow. 583 total yards by the Saints represented the most yielded to any opponent in the history of the franchise. Mike Zimmer not mincing words after the game. Yeah, this is a bad defense. Worst one I've ever had. Ooh. By the way, Mike Zimmer has been coaching for 27 years at the pro level. He's he's had not a lot. I mean, there have been some shaky defenses that he's been a part of. And I think he meant it. And I know they came into this year with no Donnell Hunter and they traded away Yannick and they haven't really had a pass rush. It's not been perfect, but he was legit fiery after that. And um, I think this is as frustrated a team as there is in the NFC right now. I mean, yeah, I think that's an emotional thing to say. And, uh, you know, because it's ultimately kind of like a, hey, it's not my fault move. Um, You know, it's like, hey, hey, I've been coaching all this long and they've never been this bad. I think he'll be around another year. But it it really was such an encouraging day for the Saints who are still going to be playing for home field in week 17. So that's it's tricky, you know, that they're going to be playing. But I think to to go, I know Breeze got intercepted. One was on a tip pass, but he did throw it 26 times for 311 yards. Uh, which is incredible efficiency uh, that, you know, the arm doesn't look great, but just the fact that they were able to generate any, that that sort of efficiency uh, without their top, you know, two of their top three receivers, their stars, Cam Jordan and Marshawn Lattimore, I thought played like stars on defense. So it it's a good feeling win for them to kind of head into the playoffs. And I did really appreciate Troy Aikman, like quietly apologizing for giving Taysom Hill too much love a few years ago in the playoff when the Saints had and, and sort of taking responsibility for some of the hype that Taysom got uh, after that. It was just another moment in what I think has been an MVP season out of Troy Aikman. I love having <laughs> Troy twice a week. I think it's been a different Troy. I don't know if it's because he felt the heat from Romo, but I'm shocked to say I think he's the he's the analyst MVP of the year. Troy Are you? Oh, that's 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 a big take. Are you referencing the Taysom Hill was the best player on the field game? Right when Wasn't he played like seven January? snaps. Yeah, that was yeah. the game. That was yeah. the game, and because it was against the Vikings, and he played seven or eight. Oh seven. my god! It's and, also, and it, I mean, if you're Troy Aikman, you're saying I have so much influence, and I love Troy Aikman <laughs> as much as anyone growing up watching football, but. I have so much influence over the football world that when How I express an opinion, fun. huh? Uh, you know, 
He doesn't right. listen to this show. That is confirmed, so he won't hear what I have to say. Well, he, he watches every single minute of Good Morning Football. I mean, if he could just give us, <laughs> that he like, does. check in on our flagship show, even, like, for 20 minutes, just while you're going out on your jog. Maybe you'll like it, Troy. Start giving us a, give us a shout-out on Thursday nights next week. I don't know. Next year. All right. What? Let's move on. Another blowout. Brady, play action fake, dropping to the look downfield, throws a deep ball, right sideline, caught ball, Gronkowski, touchdown Tampa Bay! Holy guacamole, what a phenomenal catch by the big tight end, former teammate of Tom Brady's in New England. Holy guacamole! I love Gene Deckerhoff. W-F-U-S... Uh-oh, the Pucks are getting hot again. Tom Brady threw four touchdowns in one half a play, including another hookup with Gronk as the Bucks took a 34-zip lead into halftime. Enter Blaine Gabbert, cruise to a 47-7 win over the corpse-like Detroit Lions at Ford Field. I mean, what is the state of the Lions bandwagon now, Mark? I mean, is it just like, is it like one of those... Um, coal miner things, the seesaw thing, that's just like wandering along on a track through the yeah. through the dusk. Yeah, very like dusty, that. very you know, probably just alone, no one chasing it. Um, some decrepit characters still hanging around on some top skeletons, of it. like holding yeah. liquor bottles. Okay, it's, it's a mess. Go, Mark, the Bucks continue to look like an X factor in the NFC playoffs here. Well, I think we've sort of been feeling like with the Bucks that there there are two Bucks teams and. When you get this one, um, you, again, it's it's not unlike the Saints where you just think, like, I'm not sure um, where to say this or that is is impossible because Tom Brady, um, to Greg's point about Robert Guerrero, is that his name, like a trainer guy? Like, he's turning back Alex, time to some... Alex Guerrero. Alex Guerrero yeah. probably has a, Rob, a brother named Robert. I wouldn't be no, surprised. No, it's Pedro Guerrero, I believe. I know it's not Pedro. <laughs> I am aware of Pedro Guerrero's career, but... Um, what a slugger. I just, you know, like how how many times in a season, no matter the circumstance, do you see a quarterback taken out at halftime because never they, they, you just know there is no way the other team is going to creep back. And I mean, look, at, to be fair, they would have crushed Detroit anyways. Detroit looks completely asleep at the wheel to me. But your and coach, their coaching staff wasn't there. Your, yeah. your coaching staff yeah. has been wiped out from Corona. I mean, I just think that some of this stuff, because we'd have no idea what a coaching staff needs to do over the course of like 48 hours um, to prepare or make these changes. Some of this stuff just slightly insurmountable. And you're a bad team. Matthew Stafford, um, you know, minutes into the game is hobbling around on one foot. I mean, that this thing was cooked. Was that the last time you see Matthew Stafford in a Lions mm. uniform? I, the guy's got all sorts of injuries now an ankle. It doesn't make any sense to play him in week 17, and his status is up in the air as the Lions you know, have to weigh how they want to handle this, and it would not be a surprise if it's a complete rebuild. Uh, the Bucks clinched the playoff berth with the win. So you brought Tom Brady into your building to, to class up the joint, to make it professional again, to get the offense reaching the heights that you thought it could with the playmakers, and now you have a double-digit win season. You're not going to win your division. You're not going to be talked up as a favorite in the Super Bowl. But I kind of like where the Bucks are. If I'm a Bucks fan, I like where they are right now. They're playing with confidence, and they have Brady in January. You know, a lot of things can happen. Well, I like where they are because where they are is the five seed. And so they, they have to win next week to, to make sure they keep it. But that means they play the NFC East winner. And so that's a nice that's a nice first-round matchup. Whoever that NFC East winner is, I'm going to pick the Bucks to beat them. Um, you know, I we, we say, okay, it's the Lions, you know, blah, blah, blah. He, Brady had 668 yards 
and six touchdowns in a four-quarter stretch and 65 points. Those are against NFL teams. And it's not like it's just like these wide open guys, you know, traipsing through uh, broken coverage. He's throwing dimes. Like the throw to Gronkowski was insane. The touchdown to Brown was insane. Godwin, I thought, had his best game of the year. Like these were, he throw like if you protect him, and it's not going to be as easy in January, but when he's protected, no one goes through his reads and and slings it as, as well as he does. Like some of these were third reads. It was awesome. Counterpoint, Bucking. how many yards did he throw for in the second half? None. Very streaky. <laughs> These Bucks don't trust them. You know what? It's good to have both sides of the coin. And this is the same Bucks team, by the way, uh, that was shut out last week in the first half against right. the Falcons. Then they dropped 34 uh, this week. But the Tampa Bay's 410 yards of total offense in the first half was the most by any team in any half since 2010. Uh, wow! You, can you guess which team it was? That was a, there was a special team in that year. Well, I people forget the 2010 Patriots was the second best Patriots offense of all time. So I'm sure it was the Patriots. You are incorrect. It was the Michael no, Vick no. Eagles. So Ooh, much confidence. Remember that before when the the, it, the Vick Eagles peaked, obviously before good. the end of the season. But when they were on, uh, they were outrageous. It was a Week 10 game against Washington uh, where they went off for 425 yards. Um, all right, there you go. So the Bucks cruising. The Lions, they got a lot of work to do. Let's continue to power through uh, the Saturday slate. <laughs> power through. It's just like a lot of games. Get it out of coming. the way. Here's Murray going to lob one for the end zone. Intercepted by Akello Witherspoon. He underthrew Christian Kirk, and Akello makes up for the fourth down and inches run play by jumping in the air. Look at Robert Sala hopping on the 49ers sideline. A huge takeaway by Akella Witherspoon. Greg Papa with a call, KNBR. Now, do not take this as me being negative or critical of Robert Sala. But do you think that guy likes the camera? Do you think he's playing to the camera a little bit? He was on camera for about... 39% of that telecast. I would like to see the numbers because I'm not even being, I'm not exaggerating. That guy, there's a love affair between the camera and Robert Sala, and it was his show on Saturday in Arizona. The DC was all over your screen as San Francisco's defense made life miserable for Kyler Murray in a 20 to 12 win over the Cardinals. Greg, the Cardinals reverted to this enigma status. Uh, in this game, while San Francisco authored another reminder that they lurk as a 2021 monster with some better luck. It is. It could be a devastating, you know, season-ending type of loss for Arizona, except now because of the Rams lost, um, you know, Arizona has a winning-in scenario. So they, they, got, they got helped out on Sunday by the results, but I wasn't shocked just because I've seen this out of their offense before. They're, they're, um, they, I, I call them narcoleptic. It's like they just go to sleep out of nowhere. You never know when it's going to be, but they can just go to sleep for halves at a time. This was the moment of the Christmas weekend where I was like, what are you doing to me, uh, NFL here? <laughs> it's like my son Walker didn't even want to go out, you know, during the Bucks Lions game. We ended up going out. I was like, I'm going to game pass that one later. Because uh, he just wanted to watch football game, and then we're back here watching. You know, we got to get it on Prime. I mean, that, that's fine too, but like they're they're not doing anything the whole game. It's like uh, let us have a family, like let us have a little uh, family time. Um, but at least you know, at least the Forty ers showed up. I, I do have a theory that Greg actually plays nothing in his house and never has played anything else in his house other than pro football so that Walker probably would be very interested in other programming but has no idea that no. other programming exists for human beings 
He does not have a choice. It's kind of like, remember, what was it, Todd Marinovich? Sure. <laughs> was it his father who, who just hammered him to be a pro He's got the player? bug. You had it too, Sessler, when you were a young boy. He's got the bug. He's just, you know, he's addicted. You got to get him out of the house. <laughs> I can appreciate that. I mean, he, he must have enjoyed, um, you know, the Kyle Shanahan, Sala version of this. I would say this, Dan, I think Sala is that way all the time. And so when the producers get... Um, a little bug up their butt to like focus on him in a game like that where his defense was rising up. You just get, I don't think he suddenly becomes like animated Salah um, because he senses that a camera like from the mezzanine section is right. like, fo- I think that's just who he is. But he also knows now because knows, it happens. Remember, the, his big breakout was when we were in London last Absolutely. year. The Rams game. And um, <laughs> he was all over the TV and everybody was talking about it. Now he knows the cameras are there. So I think it's a little bit performative. Uh, but you know what? Listen, wow. this guy is trying to get a head coaching job, and he's telegenic. He's a good-looking guy. He's jacked. His defense is playing well. You could argue, even though last year's Niners uh, nearly won the Super Bowl, that this version of the team is making him look even better with all the injuries and COVID madness and everything this season. When you combine all those factors and the fact that he's a, a television darling, there's going to be an owner for one of these teams that is absolutely going to get sucked in uh, and might it might pay off handsomely for that team and hire Robert Sala. I don't think there's any way we come out of this cycle without Sala being the head coach of someone. And it, part of the reason is the games like these, these showcase games where the defense is playing great and he's all over the camera uh, for the audience. I think it's like what he turns Quan Williams into. Like everyone that plays for him plays so hard and I mean, I do like a team like the Niners, and I we know that how I feel about Kyle Shanahan. But in general, you know, they've been through a lot. And they have they played as tough, and they played with total might yesterday. And it's a divisional game. And if you're the Cardinals, you're probably thinking, I don't want to deal with the Niners in Week 16 because of what they can do to anyone inside their own division. And I mean, just like Jeff Wilson blowing up for 183 yards, you kind of knew by halftime, this is the Niners team. This is what they can be, no matter who's on the field sometimes. Um, but they seem to me as someone you have to look at ex- with extreme caution and danger heading into next year. If they were ever to stay healthy, this team is pretty freaking mm. badass. I kind sure, of enjoy uh, watching them. And back to the Cardinals, shame on them. A game you need, your opponent's playing for nothing more than pride. They have a a third string quarterback, quarterback C.J. Beathard, who lights up Arizona's defense for three touchdowns. You mentioned Wilson goes for 183 on the ground. I mean, you got I mean, that's a bad reflection on the team and the coaching staff uh, performance in that spot. Hmm. Uh, ugly stuff. Bad job out of Kyler Murray. It was a tough game for him. I think this is just who they are. I think they've been a an eight and eight type of team all year. And if they lose next they week, I mean, that's, obviously that's not. Where they'll be. I locked up the Cardinals because I thought they were coming out of that funk yeah, that's these last fair. two weeks. And it seemed like they had they had been in their valley and they were coming out and the Niners were going the other direction. But that's, you know, you can't. That's why, like, when anybody wants to get on people, oh, you're locked. It doesn't have enough, enough onions. This, this, with this league of ours, week to week, let's bring in Shook. Here he comes. Nick Shook, you are a special man. How you doing today? I don't know. I think the only person who's really looking especially special today is Greg and his glasses. I know. He's all business. Looking sharp, smart. 
Well, if you should That's turn his microphone on, then he would be even sharper, I would imagine. Yeah, I could let himself on mute. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Shook, I actually brought you in a little bit early, but that's fine. You're already here, so let's get into it. Uh, moving on to the NFC East and a big showdown between the Eagles and Cowboys. Big third and three. They really need this at their own 48. Dalton back throws it down the right side. Over the top for Lamb at the 30. To the 20. On the run to the end zone. How about Andy Dalton? And C.D. Lamb and 52 yards. And the Cowboys have back-to-back touchdowns. All right, back to Sunday action. Bring the bongos in. Brad Sham, the sham god. KRLD with the call. Andy Dalton had his way with the Eagles' woeful secondary, throwing for 371 yards and three scores. Two of them to Michael Gallup. And that pitch-and-catch strike with C.D. Lamb. 37-17, Cowboys over the Eagles. Uh, who are now eliminated from playoff contention with that loss. Meanwhile, the Cowboys playing for a chance at the NFC East title on Sunday. Shook, that is insanity when you remember where this team was as recently as Thanksgiving. Yeah, I feel like we're in different years with this team. Uh, this last month, especially for them, in the last three weeks, three straight wins, uh, they look like a completely different football team. And I'm sure Andy Dalton has a bit of uh, influence on that, considering that he hasn't either been knocked out with a concussion or left because of COVID. He's been there. He's been able to establish a bit of a rhythm. But really, it's their entire offense has really uh, come into form. He's relied on his receivers a lot, especially today. He hit long strikes to Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup had a day. He hit C.D. Lamb on that play that we just played there. Uh, two of those three guys absolutely dusted Eagles defenders in one-on-one situations at the line, which kind of put them in a good position to make those plays. But Dalton looked composed. He took the check down when he wanted to. There was one drive just before the half where I thought he was going to check down his way all the way down to a touchdown. He ended up hitting Gallup on the long strike down the sideline to kind of break that trend. But uh, they just looked like a much better offense. Even Ezekiel Elliott broke 100 yards. So that was kind of um, uh buoyed by you know a long run in the fourth quarter to kind of ice things. But the thing is with this team, and I think it's because they played against an NFC opponent or an NFC East opponent, excuse me, um, and the Eagles specifically, who couldn't get out of their own way, committed 12 penalties, even when they won, when they were up by 20, this game was still a comedy of errors. I mean, in the fourth quarter, the Eagles had multiple opportunities to come back to get at least within a touchdown. They were granted, I mean, gifts in terms of field position and did absolutely nothing with it. And then would give the ball back to the Cowboys. There was one instance in the fourth quarter where Jalen Hurts throws an interception in the end zone. The Cowboys go three and out and gain zero yards before punting the ball right back to the Eagles who find themselves in a similar scenario Jalen Hurts fumbles uh, review was kind of, I don't know, you could you could argue one way or the other. I think he was down, but that didn't really matter because the Eagles still can't get out of their own way. But when you're right, when it comes to the Cowboys, you know, I don't know if they're going to find their way into the playoffs. I know we laughed about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about this. Was, ah, that's not going to happen. Pish posh. Well, the Washington just left the door open for them. And uh, if they get in, I know this division's been bad, but they could actually give a playoff team a little bit of a run as long as they can defend. We have a knack for laughing at things that come true in hideous fashion weeks later, so I'm, I wouldn't put it past us. Well, they also are b- now big Eagles fans um, because, you know, they are eliminated, both the Giants and and um, the Cowboys are eliminated if Washington finds a way to beat the Eagles uh, next week. The Eagles are so banged up, shook after watching Hurts today. Like, what, what do you think the chances are Eagles 
can go out and get it, get a win next week, you know, like, because otherwise, otherwise Washington is, is going to get into the playoffs. I, I think it's the chances aren't great. Jalen Hurts had a nice little run in the second quarter today where, you know, he was, he was completing passes and looked comfortable and it was fun to watch him. He kind of ran into some struggles in the second half with defensive adjustments, which talking about the Cowboys, that's kind of funny because Cowboys defense making adjustments. What's that? Um, and I think that obviously Washington has a better defense. I really think that game comes down to the availability at quarterback. Can Alex Smith play in that game? Uh, because Taylor Heineke did a little bit for them this week uh, when he came in in the second half and he was when Dwayne Haskins was benched. But if they're forced to go with either of them, I don't have a lot of confidence in that team. Mm. I mean, Haskins was horrible uh, before he was benched. Their offense had no life, and they had to rely on their defense. They put their defense in a hole. They turned the ball over three times, a muffed punt. Uh, return for a touchdown and then uh, uh, an interception on the part of Haskins and a fumble. It, right, it was just, it was ugly. I know, I know. And, and it was, but it was ugly. So I don't think that the Eagles have a great chance in that game. So I mm-hmm. don't think the chances are great for the Cowboys, but there is still a chance. The Eagles mm-hmm. scored touchdowns on the first two drives, including, you know, the 80 yard strike, 81 yards to G Jacks, three points after that. And then on the other side, you know, the Fletcher Cox injury was big. It seems uh, for Philadelphia on defense, because when he goes out with the stinger, uh, that's when Andy Dalton started feast- feasting. Uh, no one uh, better defined toast more than poor Michael Jaquette, the Eagles cornerback, um, who was targeted nine times. Uh, he was covering Michael Gallup mostly, but Amari Cooper too. Uh, nine targets, seven catches, 182 yards, uh, eventually got benched. That's the second most yardage given up by any cornerback in the NFL. Uh, this season, according to next gen stats. So the Eagles aren't, you know, maybe who knows with the NFC East, it's such a ridiculous division that to write off any team, well, the Eagles, you can't, they're eliminated, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm writing so, them off. Yeah. So I will write them off actually, but I'll say this. They, if they can fix their secondary, they seem to have something with this young quarterback, you know, maybe they, they can get back into it next year, but it just was never happening this year. They had too many issues. Yeah, and I feel like we do that as much as we do that with the Cowboys. We do that with the Eagles too. I mean, they're going to have to prove it to me before I'm all of a sudden. Oh, watch out for the Eagles next year! But that next year is what they have to look forward to now. I can't. I will not be watching any of them deeply for the next like six months. Get let's get through this playoff part. Well, you might get like Tom Brady versus the Cowboys or something in the playoffs. So you're going to be be watching that. That's spicy. Sure, why not? Now, Andy Andy Dalton made himself some money, if nothing else today. Yeah, he did. Paid. Now on to the Washington Football Team. Ted is in the shotgun, ready. Davis to his right. Now Davis switches to his left hip as Bridgewater has the snap. Sets, pumps, throws into the flat, complete Anderson. Anderson left pylon, scores a touchdown. Mick Mixon with the call WBT. Teddy Bridgewater connected on a 14-yard score to Robbie Anderson, and the Panthers' defense had a field day against an overmatched Dwayne Haskins in a 20-13 win over the Washington football team. Uh, yes. That loss combined with the Cowboys' win over the Eagles means the NFC East, yes, comes down to a bunch of bad teams playing for a division title in Week 17. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, Chuck, had a pretty miserable week, all told. The well-earned embarrassment of the strip club visit and uh, and, uh, fine, and then being stripped of his captaincy, and then being so bad in a three-turnover game uh, that that there's a man named Heineke coming in for you uh, late in the game. Yikes. 
Yeah, you know, for it, it, that whole thing this week was interesting because it was like all the shame on Dwayne Haskins. How could you do this to your team? And then he was he basically turned it around and was, you know, uh, demanded to speak to reporters. And all of a sudden it became, oh, what a what a stand up guy owning his mistake. And he's going to go out there and, and lead them to victory. And then he he didn't. I mean, he just he looked bad. He looked worse than he did early this season. Uh, you can see why Ron Rivera benched him. Uh, for Kyle Allen when he did. Um, it, he's slow in the pocket. His best two plays of most of the game were improvisational plays where he just kind of bailed out of the pocket and made something happen. The second time it was because a receiver, his defender got picked off in traffic uh, for the longest completion of the day. He was 50 yards. It, it just wasn't good. Their offense didn't have really any life, and and um, and they put their defense in a bad spot and, and made it a very difficult game and made the Panthers look better. Mm. What, a, what a crazy way because – the, the announcers in the game said, you know, we probably won't see Haskins play for them again. Ian Rappaport said as much in a in a report before the game, which is a weird thing. So I, this was such a unique circumstance that Haskins was going into this game, maybe even knowing, like, this is his last chance, but he could win the division. It would have been a really interesting story if he had, um, but he didn't. He flamed out, and now it'll probably be his last moments with the team because even if Alex Smith isn't ready for next week the way Heineke looked you probably figure they're gonna start him what a what a weird season on a day where it's like it was Ron Rivera's big return you know the you know playing the Panthers and they they brought they made a big show of bringing out the Rivera strong shirts I think for the first time today and then and he put up this stink bomb but the, the that's how this is how the NFC East deserves to go down you know, in kind of a um, down to the week seventeen game that no one wants to watch. It looked like they were turning the corner as a division too. You know, a couple of weeks ago there were some uh, the Giants in Washington were really starting to establish themselves, but now everyone's you know gone in the tank as the Cowboys have risen, and it's like you, we know what they've the Cowboys risen for are. now. It is going to be. Uh, this will be a season to remember or perhaps to forget. And, you know, we don't need to pile on Dwayne Haskins at this point and, and you know, be his daddy. But it's like, you know, he's not too far away from Josh Rosen now. So you got to be careful because if Washington does intend, uh, you know, to dump you, uh, you might be a, a guy floating around on practice squads at 25 years old if you don't find a way to change things. Because uh, obviously whatever has been happening so far in his career, not working. Yeah, he's, he's one hurried up trip out of town uh, and then uh, two more practice squads away from being him. So he's on his way. Mm. Uh, <laughs> he's on the path. Yeah, it, it's just it's not a good situation uh, for him. And, you know, we get sucked in. You talk about this whole division look like they were turning a corner. We as as people who watch all these games, we get sucked in a little bit when you see a, an encouraging performance like this. And um, like from the Giants, for example, it, it's just um I don't know. Week by week football is not as consistent, I think, as we all know. But Dwayne Haskins, uh, when you roll him out there, you don't have a great chance. Speaking of the Giants, let's just get through. Let's get through this NFC East. My goodness. <laughs> People fast forwarding. Jackson drops the throw, fires to the end zone. Touchdown! It is Des Bryant. Two weeks in a row. Flash the X again. And the former Cowboy has found a home not only with the Ravens, but in the Ravens' end zone. Too easy. Jerry Sandusky with the call WBAL. Yes, Lamar Jackson, four scoring drives in the first half. Uh, One of those possessions ending with that strike to Des Bryant. And the scorching hot Ravens beat the Giants 27-13 for their fourth consecutive win. Uh, Paired with the Steelers' win over the Colts and the Jets' upset of Cleveland, the Ravens now control their own destiny, uh, needing only a win over the Bengals to get back to the playoffs. Greg, here we are. 
This is the proverbial team nobody wants to play. They they are. And I, and I came into the day thinking weirdly, like, wow, the Ravens really might not make it. After the Dolphins game happened on Saturday night, I thought, wow, they really might not make it. And then the Colts and Browns, you know, slip up, and now they're in the sixth seed. And you watch this game, and you think, 2019, like, this is it. In the first 25 minutes of this game, they had the ball for 22 of those 25 minutes. They were leading 217 to 31 yards. Uh, Lamar was, you know, on the first drive was four for four, making throws from the pocket, did hit a couple throws outside the numbers. They just need that like a little bit because now you're getting the Lamar that's running for 80 yards and you're getting Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins running a combined 26 for 162. And I think more than anything, I think that's what's changed over the Ravens the last month is that the other running backs, other than Lamar, are getting it done. The rest of the running game was not great this year for, for Baltimore uh, outside of Lamar, and now they're getting it going, and Dobbins has been great, and they, they kind of cruised after that. It was just it was one of those games just out of 2019 where they strangled them early, and then it, it was really over at, at halftime. It's like we know what they are, and they know that we know that what they are, and, and they're going to try to do it anyways, and when they're this good, it doesn't really matter, and you know, I know it was the Jaguars a week ago, but their their halftime yardage compil- compilations were were like jaw dropping, and they did it again today. And you know, Mark Ingram, who was a huge part of that offense, is an inactive, healthy scratch week after week. Now they found other guys, and I think that the um, better play and the in the way that they plugged in Mark Andrews has been big for them over the last couple of weeks. Andrews really just. Uh, was not the guy he was last year, and I think their whole tight end group lacks some of the depth that they had a year ago. Um, but when you get a day like today and the running game is working, I this is a team that could beat anyone anywhere. And Andrews was a beast. He is kind of taking over as their true number one receiver, the closest thing they have. It is wild that, that Des Bryant is scoring touchdowns in a playoff run in 2020. I like I that Andrews, factor, Andrews also acknowledged, like, they're like, are you scoreboard watching? Everyone has this like sort of holier than thou. Like, no, of course I'm not looking at the scoreboard. He was like, hell yes, I was watching that the entire time. So, thank you for a human <laughs> answer to that question. I'd be watching it. And then on the Giants side of things, you know, they were ready to be eliminated. They just needed either Washington or Philadelphia uh, to win in the late window, uh, and neither of those things happened. So insanely the Giants could win the NFC East next week if some things go their way uh, but this is also now a Giants team that's lost 10 plus game in four straight seasons six out of the last seven and they're mm. also oh by the way they are 0-3 uh, since week 14 uh, they entered that week in first place so you know if you want to kind of point to the Daniel Jones uh, ankle injury as the turning point of the season or perhaps it was just this the team that was playing over its head and then got exposed down the stretch I tend to think it probably a little bit of both but more the latter uh either way the giants you know they seem cooked but again the nfc east you have no well, idea how this is going to it's pretty out. simple i mean they it, the winner of cowboys giants wins the division if washington loses so if washington loses that that giants cowboys game is to win the division so it's not like they need a, t- a ton of things to happen that's they're also pretty doable 8.7 points per game in Oof. their last three weeks. Right. I, I actually I thought Daniel call this Jones high drama necessarily, but no, it's not high drama. Daniel Jones actually thought the, I thought he played fairly well today, but the offensive line and everything else about the team, the defense has kind of collapsed. We gave him a lot of attaboys all year, and the last three games they've collapsed. All yeah, right. especially with today. Speaking of uh, collapse, all right, buckle up. We got the Cleveland boys here, Shook and Sessler. Let's head to the Meadowlands. Jets get the stop. The game's over. 
Fourth down and a half yard. Mayfield under center. Quarterback sneak. And he may have moved the pile just enough. Let's see if the Jets got the stop. An official runs in from the near side. Running on the field during the fourth down play. Remember the offense, other than the fumbler, recovered the ball. The ball will be returned at the spot of the fumble, resulting in the change of possession. First down. The Jets have the football. They will say that Baker Mayfield coughed the ball up. Wobble shoes in with the call for WEPN. Yes, Baker Mayfield fumbled on each of the Browns' last two possessions. The last on a QB keeper deep in opponent territory. They were miscues that allowed the Jets to escape with a 23-16 win at the Meadowlands. That's two straight wins for the Jets after 13 losses to begin the season. While the Browns now fighting for their playoff lives entering Week 17. Uh, Mark, how much of, of this loss do you put on the COVID-19 protocols that wiped away Cleveland's wide receiver room? Uh, I don't put all of it on that, but I I think that it's um, a bit um, asinine some of the takes that I've seen out there, and and, and even to some degree, um, Trent Green sort of dismissing um, the concept that Baker Mayfield had no starting wide receivers when this passing attack has thrown for an average of 330 yards a game over the last three weeks. Uh, they were compromised. I think equally compromising was not having the identity of this team as their offensive line. No Jed Wills, um, no Wyatt Teller, and, and you saw Baker Mayfield under pressure, and you saw Baker Mayfield at times. Some of the some of the times that I thought he encountered pressure were there were a couple moments where some of these fill in the blank practice squad wideouts uh, were running the wrong route, and so you know Baker, uh, you know you can't turn the ball over, and Kevin Stefanski said as much, and I thought that they I think the relationship is strong enough where Baker gets what he's saying. Baker blamed himself for the game entirely. I. This has been an environment offense for me where Baker Mayfield's sort of mistake-free play over the past month, which is, uh, you know, is that who he is? I think part of it is the offense he's in, and that environment was completely taken away today. And I know it was like, why didn't they run the ball a bunch and only do that out of the gate? But the Jets were stopping the run, and I think that the Browns were trying to create balance, and I think they maybe forced that a little bit, um, or a lot. It didn't go their way. The game got a little out of hand early, and I give credit to the Jets. Um, they made a couple, they, they went for Jamison Crowder, threw a perfect pass on a trick option play that put the Browns in a hole. Sam Darnold, I thought he, he set the tone for the Jets on offense to some degree. Went in on a, on a scramble, trucked a Browns defender, Malcolm Smith, to the ground. I mean, the Jets wanted this game. They're not total dogs. I think they look, looked better than the Giants over the past two weeks. And Cleveland, I don't know, Nick, worst possible time for this to happen. I mean, this was a hard... This is like, you have your Sundays, right? We all do. And if you're a Jets fan, you've been through hell and back this year. But... I couldn't believe what I was watching, and, I, and I, I, I couldn't believe what I started to watch on Twitter yesterday, on Saturday, when you started to see what was happening to this team, and in the most critical game they've had in a decade. So, um, you know, a, a really rough watch, and they're in hot, hot water right now. Yeah, I think that the Mark's right in that it had a lot to do with it, but it wasn't entirely on the COVID thing. And and the thing is too is the Browns follow protocol. Don't get in a hot tub with guys. I mean, how, it's not that difficult. There's a reason the league makes these rules, and then you're not in this situation. I know you can be frustrated if you're one of those players, but follow protocol, and you're not going to be in this situation. Um, I do think that the Browns' offense became very predictable, um, in, in especially when they were trying to come back in the second half, because basically Baker Mayfield for an entire half. 
staff didn't look at any of those receivers. He probably didn't know their names. He definitely didn't know what routes they were running on certain occasions. He was primarily looking at his tight ends or his running backs out of the backfield. And when it came down to them trying to mount a comeback, I basically would look at the down distance situation and say, oh, they're probably going to try and run a screen or dump it off to Kareem Hunter, Nick Chubb here. I saw Nick Chubb catch more passes out of the backfield today than I think I've ever seen in one game in his career. This is something that he's worked on. Mm-hmm. He worked. He spent a lot of the 2019 summer working on that, and he's gotten better at it, but that's not enough. So I do think that it had a lot to do with it. Then again, don't dig yourself a 20-3 to three hole. I know your offense isn't helping you out, but you got to play better defense. You can't get caught with your pants down on that trick play uh, and, and allow them to score like that and, and take momentum. I know there's no fans in the stand, but you know they still had some momentum going there. And I think the moment was too big for them. Uh, I don't think it was too big for necessarily for Baker Mayfield, even though he fumbled on fourth and one. But I think they realized as the game went on, oh my God, we're the victim. We've lost our starting receiving core. Now we're losing to the Jets. This is a disaster. Woe is me. Baker helped kind of lift mm. them out of it, but couldn't bring it home. And uh, and that's not what you want out of your football team. That's also how they acted when they played Baltimore and Pittsburgh this season. The first time they played Baltimore and uh, when they played Pittsburgh, they got blown out both times. They weren't prepared. They weren't there and ready for the game uh, mentally. And I think that that's really what got them in this instance uh, this week. Hmm. You must have felt weird, Dan, watching this one. <laughs> I didn't watch it. I, I was focusing on oh. the Jaguars, uh, but I did turn it on at the end. Um, I kind of was coming up from the angle of once I saw the Jaguars laying down like dogs, and you know, good luck there, Trevor. Um, I, <laughs> I I saw that the die had been cast, and it just wasn't going to be meant to be. So it was. It wasn't like last week where I was. You know, super torn about it, and not even torn. I, I didn't want the Jets to win last week uh, that much. Uh, I was very torn, but this one is like, okay, uh, there's some there's some heart here on display, and they do. If nothing else, they play hard for Gase, and you can't take that away. Uh, it shouldn't be any excuse to keep Adam Gase around, and that's not going to happen. Every everything you hear is that Gase is done as soon as next week's game is over. So now I think the decision with the Jets, with Trevor Lawrence out of the picture. Is do you use this this war chest that you have and all these draft picks uh, to build around quarterback? Uh, not necessarily with Darnold as your guy, but with the understanding that um, if you improve everything around him, including the head coach, that the team will get better quicker. Mm-hmm. Or do you just restart everywhere? And there's a case to make on both sides, uh, and uh, that's going to be the narrative around the Jets this offseason. I mean, here's the thing. that The Browns... Like, this was a disastrous Sunday um, watching them, and it was a disastrous luck, you know, coming into it. But the Colts lost, you know. The Steelers really helped them out there. Um, That was a massive result for Cleveland that all they got to do is win an in against the Steelers, who have nothing to play for, and very likely, I I believe, will will not play their starters throughout that game. We probably won't know until the game actually happens. But they've been, you know, I I just think it could have gone worse, I guess, is how I would say, just because of the results. They're 10 and 5. Situationally. The the, the Jets would have, you know, if it wasn't for that, the zero blitz thing, the Jets would have won three out of four. Uh, again, you know, the Rams had everyone available last week and they lost to the Jets. You know, the Raiders were hoping to make the playoffs. They lost to the Jets. So it's I guess that the way it's going right now, it's not totally shocking without all these players that the Browns didn't find a way to win. You know, if they had won that game, 
Adam Gase would be putting together a run reminiscent of one former Jets and former Browns head coach, one Eric Mangini, who saved his job with four straight wins to end a season. <laughs> mm, that would be the disaster genius. scenario for Dan's Jets. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I don't see it happening, but you know, never rule anything out as a Jets fan. Nick Shook, you're a total pro. You are. You're the pipe man. That's what I call you. Six man of the year. Uh, thank you, as always, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. All right, let's move on and check in with the uh, number one seed in the AFC. 39-yard field goal here, attempt by Koo. He's only missed one all year. 35 out of 36, he's the NFC Pro Bowl kicker. Placement is down, Koo's kick is up. And the kick is up, and it is... No good! No good! Kuz only missed one all year! Remember with the Chargers, he struggled early in his career and thought he would never kick in the NFL again. <laughs> Young Wei Ku misses only his second field goal attempt of the season. Mitch Holtis, WDAF. How could you? See what I did there? Not bad, not bad. Young Wei Ku had been brilliant this year, but he pushed a 39 yarder in the final seconds on Sunday, allowing the Chiefs to escape with a 17-14 win over the Falcons. Patrick Mahomes salvaged a frustrating afternoon with a go-ahead touchdown pass to McCall Hardman in the final minutes. But then, even then, the KC defense was unable to close out the Falcons on offense uh, in the final drive, uh, but then Koo bailed them out. So, you know, one of those things, guys, where sometimes it's to be both lucky and good it seems unfair to the rest of the NFL. They have been lucky. AJ Terrell had an interception of Mahomes, you know, which would have been you know the second one right uh, in, in the red zone. And with two minutes left, that would have ended the game. He had it. He just and didn't survive the contact with the ground. Like that that um, moment again. Not saying it's everything is about the Browns here, but it is interesting to think about how Week 17 would be different if if the Falcons win this game. The Steelers would have had a chance to play for home field advantage. Now the Chiefs have it. The Chiefs will have the decision whether they want to rest for a, a couple weeks or not. But, but uh, I, this team is confusing to me because you know they feel dominant, but they haven't. Um, you know, we talk about the desert in a. I don't know. It's weird because on game day view, like we can just say the point spread. So why can't we hear? Maybe we I can. I think you can. Just say. I, okay. I think um, we're probably fine there. <laughs> the Chiefs have not done their job, put it this way, in terms of the desert since they play the Jets in week eight. That's amazing. So they are the worst team in the NFL against the, against the spread right now. Or the is, best, depending on where you're going <laughs> when they play. Right. Um, which, is, which is wild, but it's just a reflection of people expect them to win by two scores, and they never do, and the Falcons are always close. Falcons have a game that matters next week, too, against the Bucks, so that's something to watch. But it's weird. It's a weird team. When, and I have a feeling they'll be able to flip the switch in the playoffs, but they never really totally flipped it in the regular season. They do at least overcome mistakes. I mean, this could have gone either way, but in the one or two other games where Mahomes has been gotten to and created some errors, like they... They're powerful enough to get through that. So I can consider them incredibly resilient. And I don't know, maybe maybe yeah. it's a little bit... Um, it just became a little too easy uh, collectively just to assume that Kansas City would wipe people out and to assume that they had been wiping people out when they actually had not. Um, I probably fell into that trap a little bit of even like if Mahomes throws two bad passes in a row, I'm relatively stunned by it because you're just expecting perfection at this point. And they're going to have a couple games like this, and it's still a matter of who do you trust the most to go on a three-game run. Um, I'd put Baltimore there right now, and I'd put Kansas mm. City. 
I, the rest of the teams have issues. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, as much as they could be frustrating because from our perspective, especially after watching them win the Super Bowl last year and how incredible that run was with all those comebacks and the, the point explosions, you expect them to just dominate the opposition. Uh, and then so you get on them for these close games and, and it's seeming like they're getting lucky. But then you look at their 14 and one. You're 14 <laughs> and like, one. That's fair. You know, <laughs> that is the most wins in a single season in Chiefs history. Uh, they may not be dominating the way we want them to. And I'm sure if you're a Chiefs fan, you're, you, you don't like that you're sweating out a game against the Falcons in week 16. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're getting it done. And, and if you the only the only way this is an issue is if you actually do believe that the way these Chiefs have been playing this last month or so, where it just they seem to turn it on and off and go into little funks, uh, if that's something that is going to follow them into January football. And I just don't see it. I, I think a lot of people expect them to essentially flip a switch that stays on this time around. But even I say that, but even their playoff run last year, they went through the they right. had funks or they went down double digits, 10, 10 points, 14 points, I think 20 points against Houston, something like crazy like that. And it didn't matter. So just enjoy the roller coaster that is the Kansas City Chiefs. I would be worried as a Chiefs fan. I don't like the whole rest thing for two weeks, which is basically what happened last year, too. And you're right. They dug a, I think it was 24 nothing hole against Houston. Um, I I don't like that feeling. Go out and just lay some wood on the Chargers next week and feel good about it. They're not going to do it. See, you want them to. They're not going to That do just it. makes sense. Yeah, but it probably will come down to I don't, like I don't, they might, they might sit at the line. They have nothing to play for. And, and part of it is because of Andy Reid's track record. He, this happened to him in Philadelphia sometimes. This happened in Kansas City. He rests the starters. At this point, most of the NFL rest starters. He was kind of ahead of his time. With Th- this is the one year where if you wanted to make um, probably a failed but out there um, pitch to not get the bye is that the bye week opens up all these avenues for one mm. um, flunky to go catch Corona and have half like your team wiped out. It's like I kind of like keeping these teams on a very systematic, robotic schedule. Um, and, I, you know, I trust the Chiefs to keep a, a lid on it, but you never know. All right. Good take, Mark. That was a little bit of a PSA for... I liked uh, it. I enjoyed and it. Coaches. And it made, I think it made a lot of teams think when they hear it. I'm sure. All right. We just talked about the best team in the AFC. Now the worst. Trubisky back under center. Montgomery the lone back snap. Trubisky play fake. Going to roll to the near side. Going to keep it at the five. Wide open to the end zone. Touchdown. Mitchell Trubisky. Touchdown Bears. Jeff Joniak, WBBM. Mitch Trubisky ran for a touchdown through for two more. Bolta veteran Jimmy Graham. Hey, Jimmy Graham. And the Bears whipped up on the Jaguars. 41-17 to set up a win and in scenario next week against the Packers. Uh, you know, I don't know what to say. Good job by Chicago. Let me say that first. The, the, what they've been able to do the last three weeks, especially on offense, uh, Trubisky has gone from laughing stock to a legitimate, you know, solution at a quarterback during this stretch of games and a guy that moves the offense with efficiency. Uh, makes plays with his arms and legs. I mean, he they would have scored maybe a 50-burger in this game if he doesn't exit the game early in wow. the fourth quarter uh, because it turned into such a grisly blowout, and it turned into a grisly blowout because the Jaguars tried to lose this game. Uh, let's not let's not you know even hint that they were trying to win this game. Uh, you know, when you start Mike Glennon uh, and cite a quarterback competition this week, uh, Doug Marone being a good soldier there, who knows if they you know if he's trying to kiss up to the cons to keep his job who knows but Glennon was terrible and uh and the Bears 
even if Glennon was out and Minshew was in, the Bears are going to score a lot of points in this game. So Jacksonville gets what they really wanted in this game. The number one overall pick is now clinched. They should have Trevor Lawrence under center next September, barring some type of Manning scenario. Oh, and I would love that. I would love it. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're a little, you're a little salty about it. I'm play- a little salt. I just didn't like the way they went about it. It, well, it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't sit with me the right way. The players were trying. I mean, this thing was like 10-10 midway through the second, and then they, you know, the next time I checked the score, it's like 34 to 10, like five minutes later. Right. Um, it's it's crazy. I get you know they've had a pretty rough uh, ten you know run here the last. 15 years of Jaguars. Uh, now they get rewarded with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, the Bears are, I guess, a good ex- you know example of how you can't always count on you know a high quarterback to to solve everything. But they do have Mitch, who or just Kenya. this morning before before the game started, I saw one of my favorite headlines of the year from Adam Schefter, and it was NFL executives colon like Bears you know should re-sign Mitchell Trubisky like because he's playing so well yeah it's like maybe don't listen to those you know <laughs> anonymous NFL executives telling you to sign Mitchell Trubisky like how transparent is this like hey by the way your competition really thinks you need to sign Mitchell Trubisky now what I, I, is that that threw, that threw me too and uh <laughs> I mean if anything it's good for Mitch Trubisky and and you know for all, I've critiqued the Bears because I am not into um, – I like good defense, but I'm not into a team that, like, they're trying to, you know, win games, you know, with the offense consistently scoring 17 points. This is the first Bears team to score 30-plus in four straight games since the 60s. Um, so what's to, what's not to like? Uh, right now, if you want to talk about who's going to get in, this team is as exciting to me as the Arizona Cardinals on some level. So it's like my critique of the Bears was more like – Bears fans, don't you want an offense that's productive? And I, I would just um, completely ignore questions about what to do with the quarterback and the coaches and all that business for another day if I'm the, the Bears. I wouldn't let the Bears general manager make these decisions to start with. Um, I, would like, I would like to see how the Bears do when they're actually playing a half-decent team. Their three wins, which, by the way, followed a six-game losing streak, are against the dead-ass Texans the dead-ass Vikings, the dead-ass Jaguars, and the Packers, I believe, will have something to play for uh, next week. Right, Greg? I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, that's that's a pretty cushy schedule to get yourself back on track in 8-7. and seven. Not taking anything away from them, but it should be stated that they have not been beating up on elite defenses. Yeah, I'm happy that the Packers are going to have home field advantage to play for um, in in week 17 because I, I really don't like it when playoff spots and we've seen it plenty of times get decided uh, on teams resting their starters. So the Packers will have plenty to play for and, and that's good because the, the bears will have to earn their way in. Now they could potentially lose that game. The bears that is. And if the Rams take care of business against the Cardinals, the bears still get in. So they, they have some, they have some wiggle room and, uh, Bears Saints is about as likely as a playoff matchup we can there's almost like no likely playoff matchups everything is so uh up in the air but Bears or Cardinals at Saints sounds like a, a very possible wild card 2-7 matchup. I just want to see Mitch throw for 380 yards and four touchdowns and run for another next week and then play great in a, in a heartbreaking playoff loss that's not his fault and then just be like hey Bears figure it out now what 
Yeah. It's in play potentially here. This is another thing that we joked about two months ago, and now it is a very strict uh, and real um, possibility. So, Knowing their ownership, I think Nagy saved his job no matter what happens. Trubisky, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I would be surprised if Nagy loses I mean, his Na- job. Nagy saved his job by giving away the thing that he claimed to be his special trait, which is play calling. So that should give you pause, but I think you're right that if they make the playoffs, I don't think there'd be much debate there. Hey, Ricky, set the clock on these last two games. We're in the cornfields now uh, with Denver and the Los Angeles Chargers. Lock to pass. They rush three, sets his feet, climbs the pocket now, and he lets this fly. It's going to be short of the end zone, it looks like. Spotted Mike Williams with the interception. (laughs) There you go, Big Mike. Get yourself one more reception in the game. The game is over. The Chargers win. Heck of a reception by Mike Williams from Drew Locke to end it. Matt Money Smith, my boy on the call, KYSR. And a happy Matt Money Smith, because he got to call a nice, clean play to end the game. No questions, no reviews, no drama. It's just over. Drew Locke's Hail Mary heave went unanswered. And Justin Herbert broke Baker Mayfield's rookie touchdown record in the Chargers' 19-16 win over the Broncos. That's three straight wins for Los Angeles, Mark. Uh, You know, good for them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, good, good for them. And, you know, Justin Herbert also crossed 4,000 yards, so an awesome uh, year for him. I, I will say this game got, um, like all the others, quite chargery because it was 16-3 to Los Angeles um, seconds into the fourth quarter. And during all this, they allowed the Broncos to score on four straight drives. This was a Broncos team that had 67 yards passing at the half, um, and it created this final drama. But the lock... Um, drive at the end there, which which ended in the Mike Williams interception in the end zone. It started with him um, missing with Jerry Judy on a, on a big pass downfield. And the in the one driving narrative of this game, beyond two teams that are essentially staring at the offseason, you want seventeen regular season games? You want more of this? Go get it for yourselves next season NFL. Oh. But Jerry Judy, fifteen targets, and I really liked him this year at times. Six catches for 61 yards and five drops. I mean, I think that honestly was the difference in this game. He had a couple big opportunities, and they just... You know, you get the quarterback that comes in there, and I'd point to Justin Herbert, where everyone around him becomes better, and these guys that have not been making plays start making plays. Um, Today, he did that with a couple people, even without Keenan Allen in the lineup. And Drew Locke just uh, does not seem to be that guy. And so, they, you know, they spent the whole second half of this asking the same questions we do about Locke that we're going to be you know, asking for months into the offseason. And that's all i got to say about this game. If you want to say something for three seconds, say it. Wow. Mark setting the table. He took the whole two minutes. <laughs> I didn't realize that's what I, I wasn't attempting Seth to do that. But <laughs> He set the table. He ate. He cleared the table. Let's move on. Watch it being captured. Sam Hunt away right into the hands of Marcus Hunt. That's an interception for the Bengals as Hubbard got to the right side of Watson, poked the ball out of his arm. Watson is hurt, and the ball fluttered right to Marcus Hunt for the pick. All right, let's try this again, Mark. Dan Horde, WCKY with the call. Tell me if you heard this one before. The Texans were driving for the go-ahead score in the final minutes when, insert tragedy here, this time Deshaun Watson (laughs) sacked by Sam Hubbard, forced to fumble Marcus Hunt, the great custodian, recovered. The Bengals added a field goal after that. 37-31, they win. They beat the Texans. That's since his first road win in two years, Sessler. <laughs> yeah. Um, quick nugget on this one. Watson seems to be okay, according to James Palmer. 
um, that he, he's, you know, that the injury at the end, he looked like he was in pain, should be okay. This is a Texans team. You mentioned the Bears going up against him. Brandon Allen threw for 371 yards and was not sacked. So that kind of should tell you all you need to do. I came out thinking like, you know. Brandon Allen, you said? Yeah, for the Bengals. Zach Taylor, I thought, put together a really what? good game plan. But you are playing the um, one of the worst pass defenses I have ever seen in my life. They, the Bengals had 540 yards. Uh, I thought Brandon Allen actually played well against the Cowboys, which is a crazy thought, but they kept turning it over that wasn't related to You kind of love Brandon Allen secretly. I, it's pretty he's, good. I don't think he's the worst backup in the league. Anyways, I I do think these games, I always find them interesting how they change what's like huge decisions, even though they're meaningless. If you know, We know Zach Taylor's not getting fired. There, if there was any chance of that, the last couple weeks got rid of that. Um, we found out Fangio is not getting fired today. Um, our network and ESPN reported that, which which is interesting. Um, and uh, you think about uh, who who did who did Fangio? And I think Anthony Lynn, Anthony Lynn. I know we're not on that game, but like I think he's may avoid getting fired because of these. Because what does it mean Smart. for Tom Telesco, who's already fired a couple coaches? Does he go with them? The Chargers just might be like too lazy to do it and. Uh, these games that really don't mean anything a lot of times like change the next couple of years. When I've watched the Chargers this year, all I could think of is bring back Anthony Lynn. Isn't yeah? Isn't that terrible that like we're making it, it happens so often, but it's the most perilous way to make a huge decision. Well, it's right. also it's also about different organizations, you know. Like the Chargers, I feel like don't want to spend the money or start it all over, you know. Ten. Nine, and a shout out to David eight, Johnson, season seven, high in rushing yards, six, scrimmage yards, five, touchdowns, four, and it's his first three, 100 yard two, game since week 11, one. 2018. That trade was worth it. <laughs> to Sunday Night Football. Oh, Sunday night. Play action. Rogers looking for his fourth touchdown pass of the night. Gets it. Third to Adams. Well, welcome back, Al Michaels of the call for NBC. Aaron Rodgers locked up the 2020 MVP award with another big showing. 21 of 25, four touchdowns, three to Devontae Adams. Unbelievable the year those two have had. Uh, what a fearsome pair, uh, pairing. A 40-14 to 14 win for the Packers over the Titans. A blowout for Green Bay, who went one step closer to the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, Mark Sessler, the Titans, you know, their defense has been their Achilles heel all season. They just weren't up to the task at Snowy Lambeau Field. Yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting to hear Chris Collinsworth note that Matt LaFleur, um, who, you know, I think we like on the show, but we've taken, we take a little, throw a few little arrows at him with his boy with the beard scenario. He's not a boy anymore, but he talked about the fact that he um, (laughs) felt like they could open up the playbook can use plays that they wouldn't use in other situations against other teams, um, basically because of Tennessee's pass rush. And this was just the kind of game where I thought um, the Titans are not totally built to win this kind of um, situation in the snow. I know everyone thinks it's just Derrick Henry, but so much of their offense, because they are more balanced than I think that the perception is around them, um, that the play-action pass, the boot pass, a lot of that stuff got removed early. And then you have... Um, the Packers running, uh, r- you know, rough shot over over the Titans defense, and uh, I, I just think that when they can run the ball this way, it sets up Aaron Rodgers for glory. And they looked unstoppable tonight. You have a, it, it builds my belief in who they can be. Hmm. I mean, they, there's a lot of ways the Titans can win, but if Tannehill throws two interceptions, 
uh, and goes 11 for 24 for 121 yards. It's not going to happen. Like if the, this is all the Packers need, but you know to get that sort of defensive performance. But they could have played this game all night, and the Titans wouldn't have gotten anywhere near Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it, almost anyone could play quarterback. Rodgers was good, but the amazing thing is. So many of great Rodgers' greatest games this year, he hasn't had to make, like, wow plays. There weren't a ton of wow plays tonight. Like, they didn't need to. They just moved the ball up and down the field. Guys were wide open. It's just such a professional uh, offense, the way they go about their business. Yeah, 37 carries, 234 yards, two touchdowns. A.J. AJ Dillon went off for 124. Aaron Jones went off for 94. Um, and it really should have been about 64. But Mike Vrabel did not... Um, tosses red flag on that run that set up a Packers. I mean, that just, that was really the Titans night in a nutshell. They were just a step slow and just not all the way there. Chris Collinsworth said something a little bit unfair, I thought, at the end of the show that the the Titans are a type of team here that weren't ready for playing in these type of conditions. I, I don't think the Titans should be labeled that way. I think they showed that they were a tough team last January. But on the flip side of that, this defense is going to get them beat at some point in January. I just don't – I think that's just one of those things where I look at all these teams – well, if they even get there. I shouldn't I shouldn't assume they beat the Texans next week to make the playoffs. Anything could happen. Um, but this defense, week after week, and these big matchups against contenders – remember, we saw it with the Browns a couple weeks ago even uh, – a, a total dis- destruction of their D. So when Ryan Tannehill doesn't have it, and there's been a few weeks where he hasn't this year, he's had a really nice year, uh, there's – no coming back. This is forty fourteen happens. Well, it's like, and, and, and honestly, I look at the Houston game in Week Seventeen, and Houston's offense, when they want to be, can be super frisky. And I, I don't love that for Tennessee. Mm. I mean, if you, I, you know, you do the, and this is a, a smart thing to do. Greg does the worst position group or best position group in a game, and the Titans' defense just has not impacted quarterbacks all year long. So I think you know, you look, you could go chart a couple Titans games. Were certain offenses that needed to get off the hump or like quarterbacks that needed to shine had some of their best games against Tennessee because they're unaffected. They're not badgered in those games. That and could be a shootout for that sure. That would concern me, right. Yeah. So then you, well, then Watson you, then might it, not even play. I mean, if the Texans beat them, everyone go home. The Texans can't beat the Bengals. Uh, the Texans, you know, they've been somewhat com- competitive, but not overly l- lately. It's just... We don't even know if Watson's going to play, but yeah, you're right. They do win the division, the Titans, if they win this game. I I do push back a little on, like, Collinsworth, I think he holds a lot of sway because a lot of AP voters are just kind of, like, tuning in right now. It's like, he said the MVP race is over. Don't tell me it's over. I mean, first of all, there's a big week left for this Packers team. Like, it, it, that's a significant part of the sample. And and I don't think it's, like, some huge difference between Mahomes and Rodgers. I think Mahomes will, even if the season ended today, would get some votes. And they're both going to play next week. If, if Rodgers, like, had a stink bomb, you know, that, that that's part of it. Um, I don't think it's over. And when I remember the season, it's crazy. I think I'll remember Devontae Adams just as much. Because we we've always talked about, like, oh, Adams is one of the best, the very best receivers in the league. But this is the year to me where he is the 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 guy. And because he missed a couple games, the numbers aren't quite as crazy. He's still 110 for over 1,300 right now. But, man, he has just been dominant. And tonight was another dominant night. And on the flip side, like you, like you it, it feels like game after game you're watching A.J. Brown limp off the field. He's been dealing with a lot health-wise. Corey Davis didn't show up tonight. Mm. This just was not... Tennessee's evening it doesn't really lower my opinion of what they can do if they're on but 
they're just a one-sided team to me. And I, but there's a, the AFC has a lot of this going on, so I, I don't know what will happen. Obviously, that's why and, they keep doing this. Otherwise, I tell you right now what will happen. There you go. And in personal milestone watch, Derrick Henry finished just under 100 yards in this game. He needed to get about 150 to stay on pace for 2,000. So now he would need an absolute monster game against Houston next week to do it. But you know what? Don't put it past Derrick Henry, especially against the Texans defense. Uh, and Greg, you are, you're good with this stuff, so I'll, I'll tee it up. The Packers have the number one seed locked up if they win next week. They are the number one seed in the NFC. They get the bye, and the NFC playoffs go through Lambeau Field. But two other teams can get that bye as well. How does it happen? Well, yeah. Packers the original are... Steve Karecki, Greg Rosenthal. <laughs> Kornacki. Kornacki, baby. Yeah. This guy's you can be Kornacki. Territory. Uh, well, if it's a three-way tie, the the Saints uh, can get in. Which So the Saints are not out of it yet. They have that... Um, that game next week. Gosh, shoot, now I forget. Who do the Saints play off the top of my head? Bad job. Um, the Panthers. The, the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the Seahawks uh, still have, an out, have a chance, too, because they would win the tiebreak over the Packers. If the Packers lost, the Seahawks uh, won, and the Saints lost, uh, then the Seahawks still have a chance at home field advantage. So it's nice that like all these teams have something to play for. And... Um, I think people are going to be frustrated. I don't know if you were going to get to this about the Sunday night game. I know Mark's not happy about this. Well, it just feels this. very corpo, like very corporate. What did they? What was the announcement? So it's the Washington football team versus the no. Eagles. And oh, get out of here! So you know, the more I thought about it, because I always try to guess these things, and I had a, a flaw in my guess, which was was Rams Cardinals. They're in a tough spot. They they can't pick a game that has a potential to be dead and they also can't or at least shouldn't and i think they don't pick a game that could change competitive that could be a competitive disadvantage of a team making the playoffs and i'm pretty sure that eliminated every single game except for washington uh eagles if you pick any other game possibly on the slate it either could not matter at all um for both teams or it could not matter for one of the two teams and they would have rested all their starters like let's say the Packers or the Rams if they knew they were in before they got to Sunday Night Football then they rest their starters and suddenly the Cardinals for instance make the playoffs just because they got to play on Sunday night how so about it's a, a third tough rule? spot but it sucks it sucks how about a third rule you have to eliminate the game that could feature Tyler Heineke starting. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's, that's very rule. fair that feels that's like a good rule one. I that's would rather one. roll the dice with a game that could be great or have compelling storylines and good quarterbacks involved then lock yourself into you know the worst division in the history of professional football uh limping to the finish i don't know i I understand both sides of it i know what you're saying there greg i do think they they did not want the chance of putting um mason rudolph and miles garrett back in prime time well right or well it's not so much that as just they don't want to they don't want to deliver a team they don't want to deliver a team to the playoffs for instance, let's say they put the Bears-Packers in there and the Bears knew they didn't have to to play. Then, you know, it's a dead game. Or, you know, they, they could have had the Rams sitting everyone and suddenly the Cardinals make the playoffs because of that. It's a tough spot. And the, the same thing could have happened with almost every AFC team. So I do There were a lot of options. I will it's say bad if luck Dallas, for us. It's bad luck for us. Though. If the Dallas Cowboys make the playoffs and the Cleveland Browns do not, I my personal um, rule to myself is that I will follow no human rules through the entire offseason, um, be them personal or 
societal. I do not follow any rules at that point. That, to me, tells me everything is broken down to such a degree that um, I'm not interested in what Total. anyone else thinks or does. Total spiral scenario on deck for Sessler. Let's hope it doesn't <laughs> play out that way. I have to say that uh, um, I, I don't know Mike Tomlin, but I've followed his coaching career. And I know what the Steelers, what they just came out of, that horrid funk. Am I certain that Mike Tomlin's not going to say, no, we got to keep grinding. We want to go into the playoffs feeling strong. Does he really want to bench his entire offense when they just came to life after they went into that deep slump I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on the Steelers resting people I don't the know the only about thing that. is they had no buy and that was such a sticking point with the roster as I mean I understand to some degree I wonder if it's rest mm. certain people but not others but that's the one team that I thought had a legit beef with how they were moved around left and right and lost the week off which every other team has so do you use it for that reason but to your point Dan like I mean have they earned a week off to go sit in street clothes watching backups toil no they might want to stick it to the Browns too you know it's division rivals might stuff want to I'm sure they too. I'm sure they would love to you know mm. Open up 2021 with that little beautiful nightcap. Two things. Jared Goff, there are reports out there that that thumb injury that he suffered in the second half of today's loss is a broken thumb, which puts his status for week 17 very much in doubt with the Rams potentially needing a win to get to the playoffs. And the backup quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams is John Wolford. How about that? Never taken a snap in the NFL. No, it, you know, he's he's had some fun ones in the preseason. It, Ian Rapport did the weird thing where he said teammates some are what? really <laughs> some, fun uh, made, made some fun, uh, made some fun plays where I was like, wow, John Wolford. I'm surprised. Um, but and, uh, Ian Rapport, <laughs> Ian Rapport said, like, his teammates have been really like excited, you know, about what he's doing in practice. It's just almost like well, the first. These, right, don't even pass before. that along. That's the like, is that Wolford's little... agent asking for a favor? What's happening here? No, I mean, I was more getting wondering, like, is this the first little breadcrumbs of Wolford comes in here, has a decent game, gets him to the playoffs, <laughs> and we've got the golf, golf controversy all off season. I tried to call that, it the golf traversy right off the bat, and uh, I like it. I like I like that I too. I can hold my breath on that one. Um, and finally, uh, we talked about Christmas at the top of the show, and I want to say a, a big shout out to Stephen over at Stew's Wood. You know, some people think that Stew's Wood, the the wood craftsman uh, who does incredible work and has done stuff for the show, including crafting. Um, our Lock of the Week title one year, and I know he's done projects for Chris Wessling. Uh, it's Stu's Wood is the company, but his name is Steven. And uh, I reached out to Steven and asked him to put together a, a charcuterie board, is what they call it. Uh, for my wife was uh, asking for that, and and you know he did great work. As you, look at the craftsmanship there; it's nice. That's very, nice. very nice. Hands very nice. What do so, you put on that? Just like cheese and crackers and stuff. Just things that you don't like. Cheese, crackers, I like meats. cheese and crackers. Yeah, things like that. But I'm just asking, um, that's the main purpose of it. So shout out to Steven over at Stew's Wood and Stew'sWood.com. Check out his website also on the gram and Twitter. So thanks, Stu. Anybody else have anything to add? I would request that Steven build me a second house in L.A. out of wood. Can he, does he have time for that? <laughs> a tinderbox. All right, uh, Steven, reach out to Mark and, and maybe you can make that happen for him. All right. The week ahead, Tuesday show, get excited. No Thursday Night Football, that's over. In fact, next Sunday's show, every team plays 
on Sunday. So a monster Sunday show, and that will also, of course, decide the playoffs. So, yes, we are here now. That We're heading towards the season finale, the regular season finale. I look at it like a television show. So it's, you can't miss this week on the Around the NFL podcast. Thank you to everybody uh, for listening. And uh, until then, this is Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood, and Nick Shook, the pipe man. Until Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.